Um, great, so we're, we're doing a, a brand new preaching series today woo, called A People of Praise. And this is going to happen for the next five Sundays before our weekend away. Uh, still a few spaces left on that if you're quick to book in. Uh, but we're going to be exploring this thing. What does it mean to be a people of praise? What does it look like for you to be a person of praise? And uh, I mean, in, in one sense, if you to read Ephesians chapter 1, there's this amazing comment. It says that if you're a Christian, then your whole life is to the praise of his glory, to the praise of God's glory. So isn't that an exciting idea that just by being a Christian... Everything you do is like consecrated worship to Jesus, whether that's doing your job or eating hamburgers or playing with the kids or changing nappies or going to work or going for a run. Whatever you're doing, all of that is worship to Jesus if you allow it to be and you make it that. But we're particularly over these five weeks talking not about the the generalist sort of uh, definition of praise and worship with our lives. We're talking about this thing that we do together on Sunday mornings or perhaps in a small group on a Wednesday night, when Christians, when believers come together and praise God together. What does that look like? What's it meant to look like? We're we're people of tradition. We're people, creatures of habit. And, you know, if you went into any church in Scotland today, my guess is that they'd spend about 50% of the service singing. That's not an unusual thing for Christians to sing, is it? Or any church in the world, unless it was a a country where Christianity was prohibited and you couldn't do that freely, they'd probably spend a good amount of time just worshipping, praising the Lord together, singing. Now, the danger with that, the danger with it just being our tradition and our experience is that we stop reading what the Bible says about that. And so over time, if it's just a tradition for us in our mindset, we start just expressing preferences. And we just say, well, this is the kind of worship I like. This is the kind of way I like to do things. And and actually, yeah, I'm not so keen on the whole singing thing. So I just come for the preaching bit. And, and we think, well, is, that re- is it all about preference? Is it all about- Some people will, will come to the conclusion, well, these things are just cultural. So therefore, we must look at what Scripture teaches us. I remember reading a book quite a number of years ago. The book was rather uh, amazingly titled, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And the conclusion was, broadly speaking, because men don't like singing. I thought, well, what a, that's a bit of a rubbish book. <laughs> well, and which is a fallacy, because you go to a football ground on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock, the men are all singing very loudly. Perhaps the issue isn't with singing, it's to do with the object of what we're singing about and our praising and being inspired about the person whom we praise. So that's why we're talking about being a people of praise. So uh, just to get us going, right? Acts chapter 16. Here's a moment in the early church where you find some Christians praising God together, and they're in a prison cell. And it's Paul and Silas. They've just been, uh, they've just been um, flogged and beaten and thrown in prison for their faith, and it's midnight. And uh, if you could put the scripture up, please, uh, Jason. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I guess you have to listen if somebody's singing loudly at midnight. So here's the question. Put yourself in that prison cell, you and a Christian friend. And here's the question I just want you to think about for a moment. Out of your repertoire of worship songs that you know, your hymns, your praise songs, the ones that you might sing sometimes, the ones we sing in church, I wonder what song you'd sing. 
when you elbow your friend Silas and you say, let's sing this one, what's it going to be? I'm not going to ask you for, to say them out loud. I'm just going to give you some options in a sec. Have a think for a moment. What is that song that comes to mind as you're in that damp prison cell for your faith? You have to think about it? Okay? I'm not going to ask you so you can change your mind. Okay, this is fine. But for some of you, it will have been a song of joy, strangely enough, a song of rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord now and always. Sing it again, we rejoice. In every situation, we rejoice, right? For some of you, it might be a song of thanksgiving. Give thanks in all circumstances. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with... For some, for some of you, it will be a song about God's sovereignty, that he's so much bigger than this present situation. You have no rivals. You have no... Right? For some of us, it will be a song of desperation, of God helping. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Am I right? For some of us, it's a song of resolve. I'll praise a hallelujah in the presence of my... It's a song saying, I'm just going to keep going here. For some of us, perhaps it's a song about God's suffering on our behalf, reminding ourselves that we're not the only ones suffering here, but Jesus died on a cross. Amazing love, oh, what sacrifice. Something like that. Now, let, let, let me just ask for a show of hands, right? It, out of those options, and there might be others... How many of you would tend towards a, a rejoicing type song? Okay, some, great. How many of you would choose towards a thanksgiving song? Okay, great. How many of you would choose a sovereignty, God's in control song? Oh, wow, popular, okay. <laughs> That's because Jess sang that song earlier. Okay, how many of you would sing a song, God, I need you to help me right now? Yeah, quite a few as well. How many of you would sing a song of resolve? I'll raise a hand. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to praise God regardless. How many of you would maybe sing a song about the sufferings of Christ? Some, okay. Well, I mean, that in itself tells us two things. Firstly, that praise has so much to do with our own experience and our own song in the moment that there's such diversity in the ways we can praise God. And that's to be celebrated and enjoyed. But here's the second thing. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because I imagine most of you were thinking, when I asked the question, what song would you be singing at midnight in a prison cell in Philippi when you are bleeding, beaten, and in pain? I dare say that most of us intuitively would not be thinking about singing and praising the Lord in that moment. Am I right? Yeah, I I don't think I would be. So straight away, we're drawn to the things, well, the early church seemed to have this disposition where they were a people of praise, no matter what the situation, no matter what the challenge, no matter what was going on, they were like, I think it's a good time to praise the Lord. And so therefore, if we're to learn to be people of such stature as those early Christians, we must be those people who learn to praise So that's what we're doing over these weeks. You know, there's 400 Bible verses about praise and worship. There's 400 verses about singing to God. 
You know, there's 50 verses that expressly instruct believers to sing to the Lord. So this is a big deal for us. Worship is a whole of a lifestyle, but this thing of corporately singing to God, worshiping God, giving our hearts to him is at the very center of what we do as a community. So over these next few weeks, we're going to look at reverence and joy and encouragement and encounter. But today, we're going to look at four C's of what it means to be a people of praise. Four C's, that's the letter C, of what it means. You can put them up on the screen, please. So so here we are, the calling of praise, the cost of praise, the caution of praise, and the crux of praise. I struggled for that last one, you can see. Okay, so um, here's the first one. We have a calling to praise the Lord. Now, there's a general calling, and there's a specific calling. Let's start with the general calling. All of creation is designed to praise God. Every single atom, every electron dancing around every nucleus in every atom is an act of praise to its creator. The Bible says from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. There's there's a rhythm in creation. Every time the earth spins around, every 24 hours, it's doing a twirl of delight for God. Every year, the the earth it's doing is its victory lap around the sun after creation, declaring that he made it. This creation, including you and me, were designed to praise him. Um, In in lockdown, um, I didn't have loads of really amazing memories from lockdown. I don't know about you. But, But one was this. I did homeschooling with my youngest son, Ben. He was about nine at the time. And I don't have many great memories of that. It was really awful, wasn't it? Teachers, I'm so thankful for you. Um, but there was one time, I was meant to be teaching in maths, and the school sent us a video to watch, and it was about sequencing of numbers in maths. Um, anybody here think maths is interesting? Okay, yeah, well, th- this was particularly interesting. And they-, they gave us a video to watch. It was something, it was called the Fibonacci sequence. And... Basically, the Fibonacci sequence goes like this. One, two, then you add the two numbers together that were previous. It goes one, two, add them together, that's three. Add the previous two numbers together, that's three and two, that's five. Add the previous two numbers together, that's five and three, that's eight. And you keep adding the last two numbers together. And if you were to plot that on a diagram, you get an ever-increasing spiral that just gently increases and increases ever-increasingly. And then, obviously, because they're trying to make maths interesting for kids, they said, have a watch of this video because you see it everywhere in nature. And I looked at this video and it was like, wow, sunflowers have that exact pattern in them. And, and seashells and uh, pine cones and sea currents and hurricanes and even vast galaxies in space, you see that swirling pattern. I watched this video and I just thought, God, you are amazing. Your signature in all of these things. Like God was just having delight in doing it. It just made me praise the Lord. Now, the funny thing was, the video, when I looked at the bottom, it actually had a little Christian caption on the bottom. And uh, they deliberately cut the video at the beginning and the end, because obviously where the guy was going to move into, isn't God amazing? (laughs) (laughs) It suddenly cut short, and then somebody in a very dry voice said, and that is the Fibonacci sequence. (laughs) All of creation praises him. And as part of his creation, whether you know him or not today, 
you're called to praise him. But there's a special praise that comes from the people of God called and chosen by him. And we see that in the Old Testament and the New, the Old Covenant, where God says to the people of Israel, in Deuteronomy 7, 6, the Lord God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. And he took those Israelites and he took them out of captivity in Egypt, where they'd been slaves for hundreds of years, and he brought them out and he led them through the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's armies chased them. And as they were crossing the Red Sea, as God opened up the Red Sea for them, and those hundreds of thousands of Israelites were going through on dry ground, and the last straggler was coming from the back, and the, the, the chariots of Pharaoh were closing in on them by the second. And as that last person, that last Israelite came out of the water, Moses lifted his staff, and, and the waters rolled back, and all their enemies were destroyed. And the very first thing the people of Israel did was they sang a song. And this is the song they sang. Next slide, please, Jason. It says, I will sing to the Lord, he's highly exalted. The horse and the driver, he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Here's the thing about that song. It's not a song that everybody could sing. It was a song that was unique to the people of Israel. The Egyptians couldn't sing it. The nations of the world couldn't sing it. But this people could because they had an experience of God saving them. Now, that covenant people, they ended up writing a whole songbook, 150 Psalms, it's in our Bible, which all come out of covenant relationship with God, all about experience and knowing him and God's truth and his leadership and his shepherding of their lives. They were a people of praise. They knew that their calling was such, they knew that they had a privilege of praise, praising God. So often their songbook had phrases like, let Israel say, let Israel sing. They'd often say, not just me and my, they'd often say, God is our refuge and strength. We will not fear. They understood that their identity was found in community that God had made. Now in this new covenant era that Jesus has won for us, that identity of being his people is given a calling of being his people given a calling to praise is given to us. So here we have it read in 1 Peter chapter 2 in the New Testament. He says, so you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. There's that phrase again that we read about Israel, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here's who you are. You're the people of God if you're a follower of Jesus. And here's your calling. So many people are saying, what am I meant to do with my life? What's my purpose? What am I meant to be? What's my career path? All good questions to ask, but here's your number one thing. If you're a Christian, you're called to declare his praises in every season of life. That word declare It means to tell forth, to divulge, to publish, to declare abroad, and to celebrate. By nature, declaration is something that is spoken. It's something that's articulated. Declaration of praise, by its nature, can't be something that just remains internal. It's something that is articulated. 
There is something so powerful about the people of God singing the praises of God together. It unifies us because we sing together that which is true. Sometimes uh, in a church like ours, because we, we love to worship and have extended times of worship, sometimes we, we, we can be a bit precious about that in the sense of almost like, well, unless we've got a good amount of time to do it, we won't do it, right? Because, you know, we, we want to give it good time. I was struck by something as I read the Easter stories a couple of weeks ago that at the Last Supper, it just says at the end of the supper, they sang a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Just one song. I thought, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's not right, is it? <laughs> You've got to have 45 minutes to do a proper worship set. No, no. You see, the, the people of God, they praise at every opportunity. Praise in your home. Praise with your young children. Praise in your small group. It doesn't have to be a long extended time, but it is a unifying, powerful thing. I dare say, I mean, the coronation has been mentioned. In a couple of weeks' time, there'll be some rousing renditions of the national anthem, God Save the King. Why do people write national anthems? Because it gives people an identity. It gives people a sense of who they are, a sense of who, where they belong, and who their allegiances are to. It celebrates identity, loyalty, cohesion. If you've ever seen the, the movie, the, the Hunger Games, everyone seen that movie? Some, I'll, I'll tell you the story. It's a story about a resistance against an evil dictatorship. And in, in, the, in the story, they just have a, 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 a song of resistance. And any time somebody does this little whistle, do you, know, do you remember how the whistle went? Um, nearly. Um, <laughs> Not whistle. There you go. So anytime somebody did that whistle, everybody in the resistance would hear it and they would, they would repeat the whistle. And it did something to them to give them a sense of, oh, this is who we are and we will have victory over all our enemies. God, when, when Christians sing together, it's a powerful sense of unity, but also a sense of declaration to every power in the universe that Jesus' kingdom is ultimate. Beware of pick-and-mix worship. Here's how it can be sometimes for us on a Sunday morning. We see the words on the screen, and I do it myself sometimes. I find myself just thinking about the words rather than singing the words. Anyone else find that challenge sometimes? Maybe it's an overhang from lockdown where we weren't able to sing. I'm just, oh, just going to think about that one for a bit. Christians, articulate it, speak it, sing it, say it. Sing the truths of God together. That was the first one. That was a long point, wasn't it? So that was the calling to praise. Here's the second one, the cost of praise. This is a shorter one. Praising together has many challenges. Here's some challenges that we face. We don't always know the words of the songs. We don't always know the melodies. If you're new into a community, I don't know this one. Not all of us have equal reading ability. Not all of us have English as our first language, and we generally sing in English in this church. If you choose a set time to praise the Lord together, like we do, 10.30 on a Sunday morning, then that's more of a win for some people than for others. Some people are wide awake and ready to praise the Lord. Others are like, oh, I wish this was an evening. 
in a corporate setting, in a community, we have this terrible tendency to compare ourselves to other people. And rather than God being the object of our attention, we can find ourselves distracted and thinking, oh, well, they seem to be doing a lot better than I am this morning. Or perhaps in darker moments, we find ourselves judging other people's expression of praise. In a community, we can have a personal tendency to passivity in a crowd of people and when we're by ourselves. Give me a room by myself and stick the worship music on and I'll be bouncing off the walls. But there's something about the community that, that somehow restrains us. Perhaps that's why it's written in Hebrews 13 on the screen that we're to offer a sacrifice of praise because these are costly barriers that we must overcome if we're going to be a people of praise. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Praise is a sacrifice. It's costly. It means that if we're going to pursue being a people of praise and you as a person of praise, then you will have to get over the reasons you have for holding back. Sometimes people ask the question, why do people close their eyes in a church like yours when they worship? Here's the simple answer. Can't find any great biblical reason other than that it just stops the distraction. (laughs) It stops me looking at other things so that I can focus on him. Now, sometimes if I close my eyes too much, I can end up thinking about myself. So then I open my eyes and look around, and I'm just encouraged by other people who are celebrating and worshiping. There's no right and wrong. But we must do these things that help us overcome our barriers to become a people of praise. Worth noting, by the way, in verse 16 there, as Christians, we often fall into one of two types or two preferences You have some Christians who are just very at home in a worship, sung worship context, um, where where we, you know, they're they're just straight away arms in the air and they feel very at home. You've got other Christians who say, you know, I find that a bit challenging, but I really love serving God and I love doing stuff. I'm an activist. I, I, I love doing stuff in the middle of the week. I love going serving others. That's my worship to God. The Bible says both of those things are worship to God, the sacrifice of praise. Now, They're different sacrifices of praise, and God wants us to do both of those things. Let's make sure that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and let's make sure that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's offer the sacrifice of praise to God in in our corporate worship. Don't let yourself off the hook on that one, but let's also be people who, in our day-to-day lives, love and serve other people as our worship to Jesus too. Let me ask you, just think for a moment, what's, what's your cost in praising God together? What's your cost in being a people of praise? What's the thing, if there is one thing, that holds you back? You might want to think about that a little more this week and pray into it. It could be that it's this third thing that is your barrier. I'm calling this the caution to praise. Jesus said this, he said, this people, or these people, he's talking to some Pharisees at the time, 
He's quoting Isaiah. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, there's a word that terrifies our culture in 2023. And it's whenever somebody calls something fake. The buzzword of the decade is authenticity. Am I right? You know, almost the mantra of the ages doesn't matter what you do, as long as you're true to yourself, as long as you're authentic. You be you, right? And some people would look at us, oh, I think that's what Jesus is saying, you be you, you know. I don't think that's really what he's saying. He's pointing out hypocrisy in the lives of some religious leaders because they're doing the external thing. They're singing the songs and they're saying the words, but actually their hearts are really far from God. He's not saying, hey, Pharisees, you be you. He's saying, get your hearts right with God. Make sure that worship and praise is the overflow of your heart. He's encouraging them and and, and bringing them and correcting them into what should be a true experience of praise. So here's the caution for us, that our praise must never be external only. It must be the overflow of a glad and thankful heart. God does want to safeguard us from what is fake. And that brings us to the fourth C, which is... What is it then? What is that deeper thing? What is the crux, if you like, of praise? What is the thing that it all hinges on, this deeper thing? It must find its expression. It must be declared. But it comes from a deeper place, a deeper well. Now, it might fascinate you to know that Jesus' main teaching about worship in the Gospels, it wasn't with the chief priests at the time. He didn't even have a conversation with the Levites, who were the worship leaders of the day. Do you know where you find the main teaching of Jesus on the subject of worship? It's in John's Gospel, chapter 4. And it's with a woman he meets by a well. When he's thirsty... And when the disciples have popped out to get some lunch, seemingly she's a social outcast coming for water alone in the heat of the day. And in the ensuing conversation with Jesus, it becomes apparent that she has a high degree of dysfunction going on in her life. Yet Jesus, in the words of the song we sang this morning, he tore through the shadows of her soul in his great kindness. Ian Galloway wrote a book on John's gospel, and he makes this comment. He says, what never ceases to delight me is that the most important teaching Jesus ever gave on what worship is and how it is to be done is given here at this well, just before a late lunch to a woman whose name we don't know, who appears to have an exceptionally painful past and is still undecided about who Jesus even is. Isn't that amazing? These are the kinds of worshippers that Jesus goes looking for. So we're going to pick up the story. He's revealed some things about her life that she was deeply ashamed about. We don't have time to look into those bits, but here's where the teaching on worship begins. She responds to him pointing out some things that he knows about her. 
and she changes subject. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. What a moment. (laughs) Wow. Apparently there's three musts in John's gospel. One is where Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The second one is shortly after where he says the son of man must be lifted on high uh, for those who who believe in him to have eternal life. And the third one is right here, that the true worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And here's the reality of why we praise, why we worship, why it's the overflow. It's this, because Jesus, through Jesus, we can be born again. Our life can be made new. And it's through his death on a cross, him being lifted up, that he makes worshippers out of people who are far from God. And this narrative teaches us so much about the God who invites us to become worshippers. If he invited this lady, he's certainly inviting you. You know, in that culture back then, just how it was, was that If a woman approached in a social setting, it was the done thing. It was the seemly thing for the man to withdraw 20 meters and turn his back on her until she left. And part of that was to do with with safety, and, and not all men were good people, of course. But part of it was just derogatory. It was men saying, well, I'm not even going to look at you. In this moment, Jesus breaks every cultural taboo And he has a conversation with this lady. And he starts the conversation in the most loving way possible. He asks her an easy question. He says, can I have a drink? Being a people of praise is to know the invitation of God into relationship. She then asks him about the practicalities of praise. She says, Or which mountain should we do it on? Temple mountain in Jerusalem or where the Samaritans believe you worship in Samaria? We don't have time to get into the history of why there was that argument going on. But Jesus replies very clearly. He says, he doesn't say, well, you just do it your way and I'll do it my way. He says, there's a new way. He says the true way, the, the way that he introduces is to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Let's very briefly look at these two elements to what Jesus is saying. Spirit and truth, that's heart and mind. That's internal and it's mental. 
That's where it comes from. What does it mean to be worshippers who worship in spirit? It means this. It means that our hearts are made alive by the spirit of God. We cannot offer acceptable worship unless we have been made new by him. The Holy Spirit awakens us to understand God's beauty and splendor and power. The Holy Spirit stirs us to celebrate and rejoice and give thanks. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see and savor all that God has done for us in Jesus and for us and gives us a relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus and to the Father. In this story, it's fascinating. In this moment, she she has her first worship encounter with God. At the start of the story, she feels deeply embarrassed about her sense of shame. We didn't have time to read the whole story. Do you know what's happened by the end of the story? So Jesus tells her everything he knows about her, and it's not very good. He's just revealing that he knows, but he loves her. She runs off after an encounter with Jesus, and she tells her whole village with great delight, I must tell you and introduce you to the man who's told me everything I've ever done. (laughs) You see, that which caused shame becomes the very thing that now she rejoices about. Her shame has been taken away. Her sin has been dealt with. Everything that was broken about her, she now finds total acceptance in Jesus. When we worship, when we praise, when we're a people of praise, we're not hiding stuff away. But we're people who find delight in the God who loves us and accepts us and for whom our sins can actually be held out and say, well, you know what? He's forgiven me all of these things. And he brings us to the Father. Worship connects us at the deepest level, deeper than any relationship you can know. You know, if it's a heart thing, then quality is always secondary. Some of you worry. You think, well, I don't sing very nicely. I don't have a good voice. I don't, you know, I can't clap in time to the music. So, you know, everyone seems very good here. In the words of R.T. Kendall, he said, you may not rate my singing, but my God thinks I'm an opera star. (laughs) God loves it. He loves your out-of-time clapping. He loves your out-of-tune voice. He loves it when you praise him. Because it's from your heart. It's worshipping in spirit, but it's also worshipping in truth. Here's the wonder of worshipping the God we believe in. He's not a mystical God. He's not a God who is unknowable, because the whole of this book tells us that God has revealed himself to the human race. Unless he did that, he would be unknowable. We could search and search and never find him. We could look everywhere and we would never know him because the human mind is incapable of knowing him. But God shows himself to us. And he does it through Abraham and he does it through the patriarchs and he does it through all of the people in the Bible. He does it through Jesus ultimately. When we worship in truth, it's with this understanding that we're not just trying to find God. Lord, are you there? We celebrate And we sing the truths about God, that he's knowable because of Jesus. We sing about creation. We sing about redemption. We sing about the cross. We sing about the resurrection. We sing about the hope to come. 
We sing about the love of God that fills our hearts by the Holy Spirit again and again and again. These are truths that every believer can sing. You don't need to evaluate them. You don't need to say, well, am I believing this one today? Do I think this is true today? No, you sing it because it's true. You know, when we are people of faith, it means we sing things that even if it's not our current experience in reality, we're saying, no, this is what I believe that my faith teaches me. This is what I believe that scripture teaches me. Therefore, even when my heart is low, I can still sing these things. Let's be those people who sing of God's goodness, his power, his enoughness, his love. Let me just say a, a, a final word. Just sometimes, in Scotland, in, in British culture, we have a real worry about emotions in church. And here's the worry that, that we have. We, maybe people have said it to you, said, oh, oh it, it just feels like an emotional experience. When you guys worship... You know, you, you, you just seem to get a bit emotional about it. And, and, and almost, that's the worst thing you can say to British people, right? That you're being emotional. Because we all know that British people never show their emotions. But I think it was Nicky Gumbel who pointed out. He said, well, you know, when, if you're a Scotland fan, and Scotland's playing Spain in Hampden Park... And then they score not one goal, but two, against all the odds to win the match. I don't think anybody in Hampden Park said, you know what, I can't wait to get home so I can express this privately. <laughs> Just how thrilled I am. No, they, they, the, the place was roaring. And the train carries all the way home, people roaring in delight and singing, Flower of Scotland. But why? Because emotion is a very normal thing when expressing delight. Here's the thing, if you went to a fringe comedy show and the person doing it was so funny that they made you laugh out loud, after the show, would you be really angry about it and say, I can't believe it, they manipulated my emotions, they made me laugh. <laughs> I didn't want to do that, how dare they? It's ridiculous emotionalism going on in that comedy show. No, of course you wouldn't. If you went to see a, a, a film, a sad film, where the characters drew out empathy from you, and you started weeping, tears of sadness. You wouldn't complain after and say, oh, I mean, I feel so, feel so abused. They made me cry in the film. You'd say, no, emotions are just a normal part of human experience. When we experience things, how on earth are you meant to worship the God of the universe who has loved you and died for you, and come to life for you, and lives in your heart by the Holy Spirit. How on earth are you supposed to do that without feeling a sense of joy and wonder, and sometimes tears, and sometimes laughter? Let's not bow down to this cult of, oh, it's all a bit emotional. It's ridiculous. Let your heart be stirred. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let all that is within me bless his name. If you feel emotional, praise the Lord. Don't be ruled by your emotions. Don't try and make emotions happen. But if you get filled with the truth, and if you get filled with the Holy Spirit, those things will surely follow. Amen. We're over time. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you for the calling. 
you've given us to declare your glory. Oh, thank you for knowing you. How wonderful, Jesus. I mean, when it, we, just think, we didn't know you before, Lord. But now we have the delight of singing your praises. And it's not because we're faking it. It's because our hearts have been changed. Lord, we thank you that you fill us with your love by the Holy Spirit. Even as we close this meeting today, Lord, we just want to pray. Help our praises to you be filled with authenticity, full of heart, full of spirit, full of truth, full of love. Help us, to know, help us not to hold it in, but help us to let it out. Amen.